Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, uglies, and welcome to the Belay Brothers Creatures of the Night on the Fangoria Podcast Network. Before we get to the show, we want to tell you about Fangoria.com. It's a little crazy out there right now, so Fangoria is offering a free two-month digital membership to our listeners. All you have to do is go to Fangoria.com and make an account. You'll then have full access to exclusive articles, interviews, and reviews on the site, as well as original video content and podcasts. You'll even have access to high-resolution scans of the original run of Fangoria magazine, which is quite a treasure trove. Go to Fangoria.com now to start your free digital membership. And if you're looking to add to your social distancing watch list, Fangoria's latest movie, VFW, is now available to stream on demand. You little freaks might also enjoy Satanic Panic and Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich, streaming now on Shudder. Now let's dim the lights, turn up the volume, and let the show begin. Now from Hollywood, California, the horror capital of the world, Fangoria presents the Boulay Brothers, Creatures of the Night. All right, everyone, welcome to the Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night. We are your host, the Boulay Brothers, and for those of you who know us only as a singular entity, we are, in fact, two different people. If you are new to the Boulay Brothers world and want to put a voice to a face, I'm Drac. And I'm Swan. And as you will soon learn, we are very different people who have very different takes on the world we share. Um, for those of you tuning in who don't know who we are, we are drag artists, horror hosts, producers, writers, and the creators of our own show, The Blade Brothers Dragula, which is airing now on Netflix and out TV. So last year, we were super busy um, producing the third season of the Boulay Brothers Dragula for Netflix. There were horror convention appearances, club appearances, festivals, pride events, our European tour. It afforded us a lot of opportunity to interact with fans. And I think one of the most commonly asked questions is whether or not we would do a podcast. We weren't sure about the idea, but then enter Fangoria. I think if anyone else asked us, we kind of would have sat on the fence, but Fangoria is so iconic, we thought it was the perfect marriage for our podcast to come together. So now enter the pandemic. Uh, you know, we have massive things planned for this time period. And as some of you know, we will be shooting season four of the Blade Brothers Dragula later this year. So we really 
had saved this time to go around the world and meet fans and see other performers and just kind of live a little before we went back into the production basement. Obviously, all that's on hold now. So it sort of made sense to actually go ahead and start the podcast now so that we still have a way to connect with all the people at home who we would have been meeting at live events. Which is so sad that we miss those opportunities because I think doing the show, um, it, it keeps us sort of in the working wheelhouse and we don't really get the opportunity to interact with many fans and going out on the road and making the live appearances is probably one of my favorite things to do. It, you know, it reminds me how much the show affects people and how much they love what we do. Yeah. And it also, if we just make the show, which it takes a long time, I mean, it really has us locked away for months at a time. If we just go from one season to the next and don't do anything in between, we don't really get to enjoy the fruits of our labor. We don't get to go perform or meet fans or even see other performers and meet other potential people on the show. It takes all that away from us. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of sad that we are missing out on this year, but I think we're going to make the best of it. Sure. So, I mean, things like this podcast are being born out of these strange twists of events. Before we move forward and talk about the here and now, I kind of want to look back and just see what our schedule would have been like if it wouldn't have uh, been for this pandemic. It's a little painful. Let's hear it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little it. painful. I mean, in some ways, it's kind of like a little of a relief, but in most ways, it's kind of painful because our schedule was so exciting. So at the end of April, casting would have opened for Boulay Brothers Dragula Season 4. You know everybody was waiting for that news to drop. Uh, and it's sad to say that, of course, like all things in the world of production and Hollywood, movies and films and TV, things are getting delayed and moved around. May 2nd would have been Dragula World. And for those of you that don't know, is a huge live pageant event held here in Los Angeles where it's kind of a live audition opportunity for drag artists and potential competitors for the fourth season of the show to audition in front of us and a live audience. Uh, it's really exciting. Do you remember the first one, Drac? I do. And honestly, that was, you know, when we were going to do it this time, it was going to close casting. So we would have had all of our new monsters lined up and ready to go. But oh. <laughs> Uh, the following week, May 10th, we had the Blade Brothers Dragula panel slated for Monster Palooza, which is a huge horror convention here held in Los Angeles, a Boulay Brothers Dragula panel, which is one of those opportunities we're talking about to interact with the fans and uh, field questions and really talk about the meat and potatoes of what it means to make the show. May 16th, we had Dragula World London for the first time. Surprise, uh, everyone. I know. It's so painful. May 22nd to the 25th, a huge event in Brazil, which was a, a cross-section of all these cultural influences. We can't say too much about it because I think that event is going to be postponed for later in the year. That was it, so sad because people have always come to Brazil all the time. And finally, we were going to come to Brazil. But- I know. I hope it still happens. I don't, you know, we can't say what the event was because I do think they're trying to reschedule it. So hopefully we'll be there soon. But yeah, anyways. June 5th would have been flip phone events in Minneapolis. June 12th to the 14th, the Boulay brothers were the celebrity grand marshals of New Orleans Pride. That one is probably one of the most painful ones for me because New Orleans is such a witch city. It's such a city for us and Dragula. I was so excited to be there. And who knows what Pride season is starting to look like. Some cities are canceling it altogether. I really hope that it gets postponed so we have the opportunity to pick up and do that. From what I understand, it is getting postponed. So we will still be the Celebrity Grand Marshal of New Orleans Pride, but it's going to be in a couple of months. Okay. So. Well, that's super We'll still exciting. be there. Yeah. And actually, maybe it won't be as hot. Who knows? 
<laughs> you know, I mean, that, that is a huge consolation for I any mean, on Canadian. a float in New Orleans and the heat, like, think about it. But I, w- I was down. I was excited to do it. Well, the last entry I have here is for the end of June, which would have been uh, the Sinister Creature Con on June 19th and 20th, which is a horror convention held here in Sacramento, California. Um, now, I could probably rattle on and say 10 other things that were on the schedule, but I'm not going to because I'm hoping we're a few months away from that. And who knows, some of them may actually end up happening. So instead of all that, instead of all those fabulous, amazing things that you just listed out where we were going to meet. Tons of people getting our pictures taken, doing panels, doing performances. Instead of that, we're going to be sitting here, locked in our tower, doing this podcast. (laughs) So on that note, let's take a break from talking about what we were supposed to be doing and take a look at what's happening in the world of drag, filth, horror, and glamour. Wonderful idea, darling. And here to join us is a guest that some of you may recognize. He has made appearances on all three seasons of Dragula. And like our shadows, wherever the boules go, he is usually not very far behind. <laughs> He's a producer on Boulet Brothers Dragula and plays a key role in the expansion of our dark empire. Our Sith apprentice, if you will, Miss Ian DeVogler. Hey guys, how's it going? Good, how are you? Fabulous, thank you for asking, and thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. course. You know we had to bring you on here, because you, honestly, people don't know that you have the unique opportunity to see behind the scenes on all the projects that we work on, so you always know tons of stuff that nobody else knows, and uh, we're finally going to let you leak out a little bit of it (laughs) (laughs) amazing usually i feel like i'm usually underdressed for this sort of thing usually in a jockstrap on stage with you guys or hiding in the shadows so this is a welcome change of pace although i love both well i think you have that unique ability to be able to put on a suit and go to to production meetings and also go get your jockstrap at night so you know what good for you (laughs) thank you so much i'll take that (laughs) you don't have to wear pants today so Well, I didn't because, you know, not a visual medium podcasting. (laughs) Well, listen, I wanted to kind of like have you catch us up on what's happening in the world right now because you're usually our eyes and ears on all this stuff. So what topics have you brought before us today? Absolutely. I figured this time there was kind of no better topic to introduce than the coronavirus and the lockdown. Uh, Everything is shut down, especially here in Hollywood. Nothing is happening. I remember when we got the call, essentially, that all production had been shut down. And it was kind of devastating. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a super shock to the system, not only for us, but maybe especially for us, because we're, we've are we been firing off on 10 cylinders for three years. You know the schedule. It's just been mm-hmm. relentless. So to think that we would even pump the brakes for five minutes, let alone five weeks now, we're going to week five. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You know what's kind of annoying? Like It wasn't like, hey, everybody, let's kumbaya and sit home and be quiet. Everybody started getting innovative and trying to do things. And it, it kind of like, I feel like it put a pressure. I was like, wait a minute. I thought we were going to sit home and be scared. And now everyone's like, let me come up with this and this and this. And I'm like, great. Now I guess we have to do stuff. Jack, now hold on. Are you trying to tell me that you were, in, you were excited by the kumbaya? I was excited that people were going to sit home and be quiet and not be on social media, like doing all these things. You know, it's a, okay, it's a break. Let's all have like a society reset. No, nobody could do that. No, absolutely. I feel like there was this moment when everyone was panicking. And for a second, it really did feel like we were all going to have a break. But then out of the shadows comes everyone is going on Instagram live. People are making content from their homes. They're doing SNL 
quarantine edition where everything is filmed remotely. And I feel like people in the entertainment industry and definitely us by extension, we are busier now than we've been in a while. That's what I was saying. It's weird. It's like I kind of thought, okay, maybe this is a chance for everyone to kind of be quiet and think about what's important in life. I'm like, no, that's not happening. You know, it, it's scary for a lot of people because you're you're losing work. Like people can't go to work, which I still don't understand how they can be like outside is closed, but the rent office is open. I'm like, how are people supposed to pay their bills? And twelve hundred dollars, we all know, isn't going to cut it. Definitely not. It's a joke. You know, so it's kind of a weird time. It's kind of scary. You know, people are dying. It's a very serious thing. But at the same time, you know, when you're in your house locked up, you know, you're not experiencing it. Sometimes it's like, you know, you feel like uh, what's actually happening outside. It's hard to know. Well, yeah, I think there's a new psychology being introduced to the world that we haven't seen in a long time and, uh, you know, not in our lifetime. I mean, there are there were pandemics earlier in the 2000s, but I don't think any that really touched the U.S. So for for us, it's the first time that we're experiencing this new spikes in fear, new styles, not I mean, not style, but that's the wrong word, but a new flavor of fear to come into your mind and then you start to doubt it. Is it real? I don't see it. It's intangible. So you start to question, am I taking this too extreme? Am I taking it too seriously? Am I not taking it seriously enough? It's like a very strange psychological landscape. Ian, like you said, you know, a lot of studios are shut down. Some productions have, this is, the real nightmare. Some productions have shut down mid filming, which as you two know, uh, I can't even imagine. I cannot even imagine, especially in a competition reality show. If you got shut down in the middle of it, I don't even know how you would recuperate from that. Um, don't quote me on this, but I remember when we started talking about productions being shut down, I feel like it was either survivor or the amazing race that had to shut down mid season. Um, and other ones just completely delaying and being a reality production having to shut down, that is a nightmare. A true what? horror. I talked to some producers whose shows have one in particular got shut down mid production. Now that network has furloughed a lot of their employees and they don't even know if their show is going to happen after all. It was already greenlit and already starting production and they may be canceled completely. Not to be cruel, but that is the nature of the game living in Los Angeles and being involved in like the production world. I mean, you can't really count on anything until it happens. And we've learned that lesson. I think it's a hard lesson to learn too. It's the nature of the city. Yeah. And, you know, it's affected our show, too. Like we talked about, uh, we were already going to start casting um, by now. But, you know, obviously the show is still happening and all that. It's just pushed back a little bit. And we'll see. You know, nobody knows for how long because it depends on how this all turns out, you know? No, totally. absolutely. I, I feel like there's another part of this nightmare where if you weren't already in production or kind of getting ready for it, if your movie or your project is already done, you know, tons of releases are getting delayed or sent straight to streaming. Um, you know, off the top of my head, I know stuff that I was excited for, like A Quiet Place 2, New Mutants. Uh, you guys know <sighs> I'm obsessed with the idea of Saint Maud, uh, the new A24, Antlers, yes. Spire, like all these horror. I mean, what I thought was going to be an amazing year for horror, everything is getting pushed back and delayed. You know, I love everything that A24 puts out, but I was not super excited about <laughs> Saint Maud, so I'm not that sad, sad about that. <laughs> Okay, well, you know, I have a soft spot in my heart for, you know, girls and just people in general who go crazy and go on religious, you know, like escapades like that. I saw her put her foot in that shoe with the tax. I was like, ooh, yes, bitch. Step on those thumbtacks. Ooh, get it. Go crazy. I, was I, mean, I wasn't that impressed with shoe and the attacks in the shoe because that's basically <laughs> like doing drag on one of these shoot days. Oh, totally. Any pair of heels feels worse than a fucking tack in your shoe after eight hours. 
<laughs> I was afraid it was going to be the one A24 movie that I didn't like, so I'm not that sad that it didn't come out yet. But, you know, the other things you mentioned, yeah, it's, it's tons of shows have been pushed back. And But what do you think about, what do you guys think about the idea of things going to streaming? Because now, you know, it's different seeing something in a theater versus watching it at home. How do you guys feel about some of these movies we were looking forward to now getting released, you know, on our home TV? <clears throat> I mean, I think that the situation, its severity and its uniqueness has has uh, fostered responses that are just as severe and just as unique, like things going right out of the theater or, you know, movies that have been in the theater for a very short time going directly to streaming, stuff getting pushed around, even stuff that's happening on stages. This isn't just the entertainment industry as far as like film and television, nightlife, nightclubs, live appearances, stage shows, everything is kind of being filtered through uh, just the idea of streaming it from home so that people can still be entertained as creators. It's the natural evolution. Totally. And what do you guys think of, you know, when you mentioned nightlife and performers, you know, drag performers have sort of taken to this digital drag format pretty quickly. And, you know, everyone's doing shows and stuff from, you know, cause drag performers usually go perform at clubs and bars for those of you that don't know, and they make tips and they get payouts and that's how they make their money. A lot of, drag performers live off of the income they make from doing drag and now they can't make appearances at all so they have went online and started these digital drag shows and they're sort of making an earning that so for some of them, I think they're making more now than they were before. <laughs> Which leave it to drag performers to innovate and to say, okay, this sucks, but how can we, how can we rise above it? It's kind of amazing when you look at it that way. I mean, personally, I think the idea of digital drag is still, it's in its infancy. And if you haven't seen any digital drag shows, for the most part, it's people performing in their bathrooms or living rooms and the backgrounds are, they're like lurid digs. Like, it's like really strange to see like, oh, here's this A-level performer in their room. Oh, and <laughs> there's their Lady Gaga poster. It's like, I don't know, just kind of a weird disconnect. Um, but, you know, a lot of people are really resonating with it and it, to me, it feels a little bit like, well, there's no other way to consume this art form. If you want it, here it is for you. Well, I want to give a little bit of love too to our Boulay Brothers Dragula season two winner, Bitch Pudding, because yes. I feel like, you know, when this happened, she snapped, jumped to the occasion and sort of started a whole regular weekly Friday digital drag show um, that's gotten a lot of attention. I mean, she got written up in Rolling Stone and all these places that so were really proud of her for, you know, jumping on and owning that format but i've heard it be it, it, it is a little raw but i've heard it be compared to like early seasons of mtv you know when it was very like one mm -hmm. camera host based it was just kind of cool and edgy kind of trashy backgrounds but it, it worked you know and it's kind of a neat <laughs> thing that she's doing neat edgy trashy i mean basically bitch you're, you're describing her perfectly to it there you go that's why Absolutely. this format's perfectly suited for her <laughs> You know, it's yeah, not like she invented the format, but she did blow it up, I think. It's fair to say. Yeah, you can find that show on Twitch, right? Under her name, Bitch Puddin'. That's B-I-Q-T-C-H Puddin'. Um, and they do it every week. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, and the length of the shows. I mean, the first one, I believe, was almost five hours of performances. Wild. Um, yeah, I feel like if you are a fan of Dragon, actually, maybe this is a good thing to come out of it. There are a lot of people who have never been able to experience a drag show maybe they live in areas where it's not really allowed or they're too young to go to the club which just stay home uh but they're getting to see this format and you know good on good on drag queens and drag performers in general 
That I is the upside. I, when I heard about this, when this started happening, this digital drag f- phenomena, you know, which was born out of the, the necessity of the pandemic and its limitations, I thought how neutered the experience would be because part of the magic, a huge part of the magic is the energy and the electricity mm. created in a live space with the audience who's usually fueled up with a little alcohol and maybe other things. And it creates like a very electric electrified environment so to when the curtain opens and the and the lights and that energy hits the performance it really amplifies it almost like a drug and these digital shows really lack that well i think that they're starting to kind of come around and i also think that you guys did a digital drag show uh it's theater macabre and it was really innovative. It took the idea of a digital drag show and put in production elements that I think we were missing from other digital drag shows. And there are other people who are also innovating. And I think maybe that we're seeing the beginning. I hope that outside becomes available again and we can all go back to our normal lives. But in the meantime, I think it's great that people are starting to digitally innovate digital drag. Well, you know, you know with our show, I felt sort of a calling because we are artists at heart. And I felt like, wow, this is a new a new format. This is a new challenge. So I think Swan, you know, I'm, I can speak for both of us when I say we we're kind of excited to see what we could do just to challenge ourselves. I also feel like as judges of a drag artist show, we sort of have to know what we're talking about. So I feel like sometimes you have to kind of remind people where we come from and what we're capable of doing. And also that we can adapt to whatever's happening at the time. Cause I think it's so weird if you judge a show, but you're not actively practicing in that mm-hmm. art form. Let them know, Drac. Well, no, yeah. I mean, how can Let you possibly know. know what you know? Okay. Let's take this for example. Let's say digital drag became the thing that happened for a while and you're the judge of some drag show, but you have no idea about digital drag. How could you even judge it? You know, it's like, I feel like you have to kind of get your hands in it. No, it's not something I would want to do often, but we do have to check in and let everybody know that we're amazing at it. And we, <laughs> we just have to look at the other performers and shift their wigs a little bit. Remind, <laughs> remind them that we're there. No, I did, I did take a lot of e- excitement and interest in the, just the challenge of saying, how can we take this opportunity, do something live and in whatever space that, and w- w- with whatever props we have on hand and make it look as professional and theatrical and moody and cast a powerful spell. And and I think that we really we really did that. It turned into something I, that really inspired me. I, I kind of want to do another one if I'm really yeah. telling the truth. Well, oh, it's kind of like producing a movie. It's like we produced a mini movie. But as far as doing another one, I don't know about that one. That, <laughs> should have been that was exhausting. I was like, okay, that's like four different looks. We pre-recorded the hosting thing and all that. It was just it was a ton of work in my opinion. Yeah, no, it was. But most things are like most things worth. Uh, enjoying are kind of like there's a, it's a fight to get there to enjoy it all right well i think we could talk about that forever but right now i want to move on to our creatures of the night movie review <laughs> all right so normally we're going to talk about new horror movies that are coming out but seeing as how we're all stuck at home and can't go to screeners together We've decided to re-examine our favorite pandemic-themed films and get each other's take on them. So, Ian, why don't you start and let us know what movie you picked? So, for my pick, uh, you guys know I love feel-good movies. So, my pick was Children of Men. Uh, It was directed by Alfonso Cuaron in 2006, um, and it is available on Hulu with a subscription or Amazon iTunes and other streaming services for a couple bucks. Why don't you give listeners out there a little bit of an idea what 
this movie is about. Absolutely. So for those of you who have not seen it, um, it is a dystopian thriller about basically the world has collapsed after this uh, infertility pandemic has kind of stricken the world. No one can have any kids and the world has fallen into collapse and it follows. Um, I don't remember what his name is in the movie. It's Theo. Uh, yeah. His Oh, it's Clive Owen. Clive Owen's our main character. He is tasked with... <clears throat> trying to basically restart the world's fertility with the help of this girl named Key, who has the first child or is, is going to have the first child born in a post uh, infertility pandemic world. So basically you just told him the whole movie. So that's, well, that's, that's, just, the, that's, that's the premise. <laughs> There's no spoilers there. <laughs> yeah. We got to be careful because there may be some spoilers, but we are doing older movies. So yeah, I um, mean, what well, I just have to say this off the bat, <laughs> I have an issue with this movie. Here's why. <laughs> so there's no kids, right? And uh-huh. everyone's like, oh, we're so sad. The world's over. We're going to kill ourselves. I'm like, there's no kids and you're sad about it? I'm like, I don't get that. I'm like, that is a problem. Off. I don't really think it would be that horrible if they're, you know, that's just my thing. <laughs> I guess that their hell is a version of your heaven because you're like, wait, no little kids? Okay, sign me up for that ride. Uh, it's a much less annoying world, right? I'm like, and also... <laughs> You don't have to worry about the future because, like, the ozone layer. Who cares? You're only going to be alive for, what, 50 years at the most? And that's over. Hmm. Absolutely. Have a good time. Interesting take. Very <laughs> insightful. Well, what did you think about it? I mean, I enjoyed it. I, I it, It's clearly an allegory. It's chock full of uh, symbolism. I think my take on it was that it, it sort of strips everything and it kind of brings it down to the bare bones of like what people tend to care about, you know, our future children, life, the preservation of life um, and, and how important that is. Some of the, some of the stuff I think is a little harder to decipher. Certainly some of the, the symbolism is very clear. I mean, the, the mother to be of the, of the new child, the first child born in whatever it was, 18 years, bringing new life back to this bleak, no baby having future. Her name is key. She's the key to the future. <laughs> They're trying to get to the boat, which is called tomorrow. It's like get key to tomorrow with baby. You know, it's sort of like it's, it's almost infantile <laughs> in the, the symbolic language, but you know, it tells the story of how important for all these people, people the effect of that child for this bleak future it's very powerful well you may find this hard to believe but one of the things that i had a little bit of a problem with the movie was you know it's it's so dark in a unique way and what i mean is like you know the people in the refugee camps in the movie were being burned and pulled apart from each other and you know the main the the um the doctor who the female doctor that was following the main character around, you know, she got pulled away from them and they put a bag over it. It was just, I don't know, like that sort of dark humanity. I'm just not into that at all. It's kind of a turn off to me. So that well, you, part was, you know, just cause I have insight into you too, that kind of dark uh, side of humanity really sort of makes you, you know, that's a depressing element. I think for, for for films and for people you you kind of can't handle that very well right i just don't like to see it you know like honestly yeah. i don't like it's mm. just a different side of people that i don't know that that's what would happen but it, it gets uh sh- you know it's sh- depicted that way in movies a lot and i always feel like i don't really i'd like to think that that's not how it would be but whatever that's it's so interesting to hear you say that that's that isn't really i guess you don't get off on those sorts of things because i would see that the boulet brothers would love humanity to go that dark but i i see that for you personally 
I love it. I love a bleak bitch. I love something that's like, there is no humor in this whole movie. The entire thing is depressing. There's ads on TV for home suicide kits. I'm like, this is truly the reality that I want. You love all that. I know. That's like your question. I'm not surprised that you picked this movie. Totally. When you guys were watching it, you texted me saying, girl, this movie is a lot. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I just think this is like, you know, a casual movie in the park. But no, it is super, super dark. Um, and I think it's, I, I realized after I picked this one, it's not so much a horror movie. I mean, it is horrible. Right. It's like horrifying. But it's more of a a drama. Um, and I think that personally, I like horror movies that are a little bit, I love slow burns and this is probably the ultimate slow burn non-horror. Well, I think it was also, it was really well made and it was well paced. Like it was really exciting. It kept you on the edge of your seat through the whole movie. So, Mm -hmm. you know, in that regards, I think it was great. And overall, I think it was good. I mean, I did think the ending was a little unsatisfying personally. I don't know how you guys felt, but it was just sort of like, Oh, that's it. But I don't know. I mean, I was personally unsatisfied with the CGI baby that <laughs> she gives birth to, but it's okay. I mean, I can't, I, personally, in terms of CGI babies, that's good. I mean, it could be like American Sniper level bad, this is a fake baby, but at least they tried, so I, I appreciate re- that. remember, remind you of the show that you produce, the babies <laughs> that we had on season two of the Blade <gasps> Brothers Dragula and Take a Seat. I will have you know that those babies look great. <laughs> <laughs> that security cam filter in episode four? Yes, episode it looks amazing and it holds up. <laughs> I want to point something out that I kind of found interesting because it's a movie like this with symbolism that really kind of piques my interest. I want to think about it on that level. And the story, of course, is, you know, it interests me and all these things I get Ian off, like these bleak futures with home suicide kits. I do find, <laughs> I do find it intriguing. I can distance myself and kind of detach myself from it, but there was a theme from moment one in this movie and it was about the main character Theo and how the natural world was attracted to him. And I can give you some examples. Like there was an affinity with animals in almost every scene. There's a dog Mm -hmm. in almost every scene. The dogs are attracted to him. The kittens are attracted to him. They come and like lick his fingers. Uh, There's a scene where he finds out that key is actually pregnant. There's uh, herds of cows and this theme of like milk, uh, when he when they escape there's crows and roosters in the background there are sheep in this movie and it's almost this biblical kind of vibration mm-hmm. that life is kind of like attracted to him so that he becomes kind of the shepherd of this mother bringing her out of this war-torn reality into this tomorrow it's you know it's sort of very clear well what do you think about i mean if we're going to just reveal all the spoilers i mean he died <laughs> so what do you think about that i mean i think that if you look at something like the Bible and, and most allegories, if, if a main character dies after completing their life's mission, that's not very shocking to me. That's almost like a poetic end. Got it. Um, but my favorite scene, my favorite scene was when he go, they go to the cousin's house to get the travel papers. And this is something that happens kind of like t- toward the beginning of the movie. Um, Cause the cousin of um, one of the main characters is well connected in the military or like the government and they need to issue these travel papers so they can move the, the, the girl around um, freely. And I immediately recognized the cousin as Danny Houston from the, uh, his role as the lead vampire in 30 days of night. Oh. Can we talk about 30 days? Yeah. The 30 days. Do you remember the, the, the vampires in 30 days of night? I do. Yeah. Not off the top of my head. Okay, super vicious, really brutal, 
evil, just speaking in like these ancient tongues. Yeah, no, they're so good. Like, I got, <laughs> girl, obviously, I'm getting excited. But Danny Houston, the same guy who plays the cousin in uh, Children of Men, plays the lead vampire in 30 Days of Night. So I did a little digging, and he is actually half brothers with angelica houston <gasps> what oh yeah. girl yes kind of exciting I, I was like i was reading i'm like oh that's definitely the vampire and then i'm like oh shit like educating myself that's angelica houston's half brother interesting i want to just get you all's opinion on this so in the movie uh there's the main character and then, you know, there's this uh, kind of heavier, older lady who is a doctor who's mm-hmm. protecting Key. This, yeah, who's protecting Key up until when they meet the main character. Do you think it's weird how they just sort of dismiss her? Like, she, she's been there the whole time. She's gotten Key through all this and to this point. Mm-hmm. And the movie just sort of, meh, put a bag over her head, throw her off to the side and do- doesn't address it. Like, do you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, oh, why is it like shifted? Like, oh, it's this cute man who happens to be the savior of her. Like, do you guys think that's weird or no? Absolutely. Like, why I, couldn't she be the hero? You know what I mean? I mean, she's the hero for me. Like, she, she's like a heavy <laughs> midwife. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I do think that it is interesting to bring up. I'm not entirely surprised. I mean, I think that we come from a world of like, Hi, a relatively attractive straight white man enters the scene. That is our protagonist. That's our hero. And yeah. women and people of color are often put off to the side. I I won't get into too much, but I think some of the other picks for the movies also suffer from this problem. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's, you know, this was made in 2006. The other one of the other picks on our list was made in 2002. They kind of suffer from a similar like white guy savior problem. It's just Hollywood, right? Like that's well, that's what sells. Let, that's what works. Let me interject here because I hear you're knocking on that door, but I am not answering because I do not agree with either of you. I, I do understand this idea of representation and maybe at the time that it was this movie was created we could say oh that's what this movie is suffering from just the perspective of 2006 but i feel like the main character here the hope of humanity is a woman of color that we have have Mm -hmm. mostly most of our main characters like the huge majority of our main good good guy characters are all female but there's this repetitive idea that Someone serves their life purpose, if you will, like I referenced earlier, and then their story ends. Like mm-hmm. Julian, Julianne Moore, if I'm uh, mm-hmm. her, <clears throat> yes, as the main character, she shockingly exits the movie once her role is done. And then when the midwife gets key to the place where she needs to be, her role is done. And then ultimately, Theo gets her to the ship, and then his role is done. So it's not they don't discriminate against the females because the same fate rests upon the white male messiah that's a good point i guess i'm just saying you know it's just weird when you when i see these sort of things in movies i was hard to wrap my head around where i'm like okay this person was a doctor and she how much time did she spend and how many adventures did she go through to get this person to this point then inner white hero suddenly she's disposable they take her out really easy so i'm like how could you know she has to be a little craftier than that or she couldn't have got this far you know what i mean <laughs> it was actually theo organizing it the whole time he's like okay i'm gonna off the midwife and then i'm gonna rescue you well she was like a doctor right that she wasn't a midwife she was a doctor i from what i 
Unless I'm remembering incorrectly. No, I think you're right. I think that her, uh, her training, she was a doctor. And then in the post, I guess, like after people stopped having new babies, she became a midwife. Um, I was just looking up some stuff and they just kept referring to her as a midwife, which is also maybe a problem of the articles I was reading about her. Um, maybe she is more of a doctor type or both. Well, so listen, overall, we like the movie, right? Yeah, I love it. I not not a movie that I would recommend to everyone, but definitely a movie that I saw recently and kind of fell in love with. All right. Well, why don't we move on to Swan's choice for the episode? Okay. So my pandemic pick was 28 Days Later, which was put out in 2002, directed by Danny Boyle, and we found it on Amazon or Google Play. Um, this was a rewatch for me, and I definitely did not remember it the way that I thought I did. Like, first of all, I was gagged because I'm like, wait, this is not a zombie movie. I was like, really? Because this whole idea of like the, the pandemic in this movie, which they refer to as the rage kind of transforms the, the, the carrier and they really give off like zombie vibes. Are you guys with me? Did you, did you see it? Back Absolutely. In the day? Yeah, yeah. I always thought until we rewatched it, I was like, Oh yeah, zombie movie. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. And then it kind of like, um, spearheaded this largely untapped resource which is the idea of a fast moving zombie because that was what i really remember that it was really horrifying that in mass these infected creatures can just you know attack you so quickly and so brutally that it, it was a really different type of energy when when we look at zombies and we look at the fear that they can sort of generate it kind of ushered in a whole different sort of zombie, right? Because you can see the effects of this uh, film on The Walking Dead and other movies and shows of that nature. Yeah, because this this predates Walking Dead. And I think even uh, the way that Walking Dead starts, if I, I this is not part of my research, but I think Rick wakes up in the hospital and then he sort of discovers that the world has really changed you guys confirm that with me? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. exactly the same story. Yeah, it's exactly the same thing. So in this movie, we have a bike messenger who's injured. He goes into a coma and then comes out and the world has sort of transformed. And, and there's basically no people around. The psychology of what happens there, I feel like this pandemic has got me uh, understanding it with, with on such a much deeper level this time than I did in 2003 or four or whatever it was when I saw 28 Days Later the first time. Um you know, there's a ticker at the beginning that says like day one and then, you know, sort of what unfolds or like day 16 or whatever it was. And at the and at the time, I was like, could it really move that fast? Like, could the world change that quickly in just a matter of a couple of days or weeks? But being on day like 35 of quarantine or whatever we are, that's a fact. Like, it really does change from day one to day 16. We're looking at almost a whole new world in that short two weeks. And even think about when this first started happening from the Thursday, when we first started hearing about Corona and that there wasn't going to be a government reaction to it from that Thursday to Monday. Remember how different things seemed you guys like, Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that Thursday us having a meeting and saying, you know what? Like, let's not make any big decisions. We'll, we'll get back together on Monday. And I mean, how, how bad could it get? And then come Monday, it was, you can't even leave your house. Everything is different. 
And, you know, I mean, I remember personally, I was having, I mean, really hysterical moments. And you guys kind of talked me off the ledge a little bit. Well, we almost left. We were like, let's pack up everything and go to the desert. We were like ready for the apocalypse, (laughs) which I still kind of wish we had done. Because then Uh, if we had been cutting off from communication, we would have been out there thinking that the world had went to hell. And it's just like, no, Sherry, everybody's just sitting home. Okay. Everything's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Look, uh, for the record, if you guys still want to like post-apocalypse go to the desert, like, let's go. We can record (laughs) out there. It's going to happen. It is Um, definitely going to happen. But back to the movie, uh, Ian, what was your opinion of this film? (sighs) Okay, so this was also a rewatch for me. I saw it as a kid, and I remember as a kid being like, this movie is amazing. This is super scary. It's great. I love it. I love everything about it. And I watched it again this week, and I'm like, this movie sucks. I hate this movie. I hate everyone in it. Um, And I think what it really is, is I think that 28 Days Later was super important. Like you guys said, This movie walked so that shows like Black Summer, which if you haven't seen Black Summer, it's on Netflix. It is, in my opinion, the scariest zombie show I've ever seen. It's so brutal and it's so intense all the time. It's like the attack scenes in 28 Days Later, but for the entire hour. But back to 20 Days Later, I just don't think it aged really well. Um, mm. I think that there are certain elements, like it's super ambitious. The, you know, the, he wakes up in this, in London and it's just completely empty. But the streets are clean and all the grocery stores are fully stocked and there's no bodies anywhere. And then they go like 10 minutes outside to like Manchester and it's like chaos. I'm like, okay, well, that's a little confusing. Look, if they wanted to really be accurate, they would know that if they went into those grocery stores in London, they would not have toilet paper. There would not be <laughs> Well, I did think it was odd, and maybe they had a generator, but the if you notice the grocery store, all the lights were on, all the food was yeah. so cold, so mm-hmm. I was like, now what's happening there? Because I thought there was no power. You know, I, I, the scene you're talking about, I, I have maybe not a gripe with. I remember when I was watching, I was like, okay, what the hell? It's, you know, they all go into the grocery store, and, you know, the music changes, it's really light, they're kind of joking about like, oh, oh my gosh, if I never see apples again, I'll, whatever. And it's a moment of levity. Which I think in these pandemic movies, like in Children of Men, there's a moment like that as well, where they're kind of like smoking weed at the old guy's house. And it's, I I think that they kind of need these moments of levity to really showcase how brutal the world is. And I feel like that's, that's kind of happening now. Like I feel like almost valid for sure. Yeah. Like when, you know, when the three of us talk, it's like a moment of levity and it's fun. But as we all kind of know, going outside, even for basic tasks, like going to the grocery store, is it's not, you know, the hell on earth that is 28 days later, but it's a lot. It's a struggle. I'll ask Israel how his experience going to the grocery store has been, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, she hasn't come back, so I mean, that's why I'm worried. Okay, okay. You didn't have to call it out like that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay, so for me, uh, I enjoyed it. You know, it's a rewatch as well, and it wasn't the same as I remember. I think maybe I was getting it confused with the sequel, um, well, Swan, what you did too, right? I think 28 weeks later may be the one that I was thinking because the moment that they're being almost overrun by a huge mob of these infected and they jump on a boat and they kind of sail off into, you know, whatever future awaits them. Um, that's what I was expecting at the end of this film and it just wasn't there. So I was a little shocked. The same. And you know what was also interesting? <laughs> um, and we didn't see this when we first watched it because I'm sure we probably saw it in theaters but the amazon version which is where you can watch it now 
has an alternate ending, which completely changes the story. So that always frustrates me because I'm like, well, which is it? You know what I mean? Like, which which thing happened? So that kind of drives me nuts. But overall, I think the same theme with this movie, for me, my takeaway for this movie and the last one and the next one we're going to talk about is that in a way, the people that are left become more scary than the antagonists, right? Yes. Right, totally. It's the people like, that are left are the antagonists. Yeah, it's almost like scarier than the zombie or the disease or whatever is outside of your house. People coming into your house becomes uh, the, the scarier fear. And also, it just brings up human nature. It makes you think about human nature and if things like this were to happen... What are the what's the likelihood that people would turn on you like this and and question everyone around you, you know, which I think is a good segue to lead into the next film. What do you all think? Uh, we're almost there because uh, I, I think that, that there there are a few little frivolous things that I would like to bring up about 28 Days Later, considering it was my pick. Um no, I don't think it was a perfect film. I don't, but I think some of the ideas that it brought up are very reflective in this COVID reality that we're all living in now. The infection is zoonotic in this film, which is the same as COVID, where it starts in the animal world and it moves uh, it moves to the world of humans. So in the film, it was from chimps to people. And um, you know, obviously, we know, at least allegedly, that it's from bats to people in the reality of today. Uh, and at some point in the, in the movie, there was a distress beacon uh, like a call put out that said if you're a survivor please come to this location and it was like a military location and there was a group of military men there and this is reflecting back to what you said drac about human nature and that they were trying to what they were trying to do wasn't rally together and help survivors they were trying to lure women there for the military men that Mm -hmm. were uh still surviving which i found kind of disgusting but maybe you know maybe that touches on the pulse of a a reality that might be there you know people do want you know sex is important to survival and procreation and all those kind of things what did you guys think about that element well well, here's something i want to add to that is did the military officer know that this pandemic was limited just to the uk because if he knew that changes his motivation because then Mm. he was really just trying to lure women there for for sex you know so that other soldiers could have sex with him as opposed to if he really thought this was global you know he would be trying to save humanity Totally. It's, it's interesting that you bring up the, did the officer know? Because I was reading about the film and there's contradictory evidence in the movie. Like at one point they say like, oh, um, you know, it's, it's, there's, uh, outbreaks in Paris. There's outbreaks in Italy. And then later on, the military guy contradicts that and he's like, oh, well, they would have just shut the UK down. Um, so I think that that's kind of, again, what I'm talking about, like it's super ambitious, but I don't think that they had the budget or really the manpower to back it up. I do think that the military officers, I think, were corrupt to begin with, and this pandemic just kind of pushed it forward. Like, I think that they would have they would have been doing horrible shit and raping women regardless, but it wouldn't have been in this way. Did you guys pick up on the homoerotic uh, energy around <gasps> that major? 100%. Oh, yeah. Um- I'm sorry, the homoerotic energy around the whole movie, I saw uh, Killian Murphy's dick like four times. I was like, why am I being subjected to this? Girl, just put some pants on. It's the pandemic. <laughs> she put the she took the pan out of the pants. Of the pandemic. <laughs> she, she did. God. Okay, I, I do have one last thing. And Swan, you brought up the, uh, the was it zoonotic? Yeah. The zoonotic nature of this, uh, of the rage virus. And I have a gripe. Okay, so the movie opens with this, like, it's, like, images of 
I guess, rage-inducing or rage-based violence. You know, there's riots in the street and there's people being murdered. And then there's this chimp who's like, I guess, tied to this table being forced to watch TV. And (laughs) then that's the logical leap that you have to make to be like, oh, okay, well, they basically fed this, like, monkey a like a diet of like violent video games and then he got so angry that they used his blood question mark i was like that'll make no sense <laughs> you I was my blood for it that. was multiple things like i kind of Same. assumed it was like a lab that they were trying all kinds of different things like psychological chemical you know different things that was just i don't think that was the actual cause yeah gotcha okay yeah. I'll, that initial scientist said like you know don't touch them no don't release them you don't know what you're doing they're infected they're infected i didn't think it was because of the exposure to the imagery on the tv they weren't infected with bad tv tn Ian. okay that's that's exactly i was like girl do i have rage oh my god do i need to get tested well i'm about to be enraged because you guys are talking for a very long time about your movie just i think we need to move on to the last film i i promise you this is it because the one thing that raged (laughs) that i raged about the most now there's the main character uh i think his name was jim but there's a female hero in uh selena and what made me rage the most about the about 28 (laughs) days later was her punk rock street biter hair oh yes (laughs) okay um on that note i'm like okay so in the pandemic, there's no phones, there's no internet, there's no anything, but there's definitely time to shave and also cut your face because you've apparently never shaved in your entire life, Killian Murphy. And there's also time to straighten your hair every day for this like Rihanna umbrella video. I was like, what you is happening? Are, you truly are of my blood because I was like, oh, bitch didn't skip her relaxers. This <laughs> her, hair, her hair was looking right. She looked good. She did look good the whole movie. And if you would like to subscribe to the podcast where Ian and Swan talk about worthless, just queening out on the side about movies for like 30 minutes, you can subscribe to them at twoannoyances.com. Now, let's move on to the next film. 30 minutes. Okay. Jack, I believe the last film was your choice. Why don't you take us there? All right. Are you ready? My choice was... It's a little more sophisticated than you all's. But anyways, it is It Comes at Night, directed by Trey Edward Schultz, and is streaming now on Netflix and Amazon. It came out in 2017 and is an A24 movie. So automatically, you guys know I love everything that A24 puts out, and I love this movie as well. Um, Just I'll give a quick description of it before we move into what you guys thought of it. Um, It's essentially another pandemic situation where people are trapped in their home and you don't know what the pandemic is or what's threatening them, but it kind of goes to hell from there. So what did you guys think? So my, my take on it comes at night. I saw it a couple of years ago when it came out and I have to say the second time around was better for me. This movie um, this movie left me very unsatisfied the first time I saw it. And generally, I really love A24 movies, too. I kind of think that they can do no wrong, but they sort of fucked up when it came to It Comes at Night. Um, I was just left feeling wanting to know a little bit more about the infection, where it came from. And before I discovered, you know, what ultimately I think is the message of the movie, I needed answers. Like, I was waiting. Even the title of the film, it... it tempts you to believe that something is going to appear and you will have your questions answered, which ultimately never happens. Like what the hell comes at night? Cause nothing came in this movie. <laughs> I think that I am, I'm more aligned with you on this one. Like I do appreciate the movie. I felt like 
it's extremely well made. Like I feel like that is that's that's the A24 seal of approval that I look for. You know, similar to like Uncut Gems, which I think is a brilliantly made movie, but I just kind of hate in general. It, it comes at night has a similar feeling. It's really beautiful, it's really dark, and they have all these like amazing plants, but then nothing ever pays off. I'm like, "Ooh, is the movie going to be about this?" No, it's not. Is it going to be about that? Also, no. The movie is going to be nothing. I was like, oh, okay. This is like a week in the life of these people. Great. Done. So do you think it it suffered from maybe the wrong title? Because I think maybe that had you guys expecting, what is it that's coming at night? And then it never comes. So you're like, fuck this movie. I'm not going to say that because watching it a second time and taking the title into consideration and just the tone overall, it made me just reevaluate my expectations and then look at it for what it is. I don't think the artist or the creator made a mistake by titling uh, it. It comes at night. It just made me take that into consideration and say, well, what could they be referring to? And in the second time watching it, I took it as if there's anything literal, it's going to be the nightmares the those horrifying thoughts that come in maybe as reflections of the world around them is so out of control. There's death in the family. There's infection everywhere. There's new humans coming into the house. Uh, and, and each night, whether it be the, the main family's son or Andrew, the little boy who gets later introduced into the film, like something happens at night where they're, they're visited by these horrifying, sometimes prophetic visions of what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of think the reason I liked this movie and I did like it was because, and I think maybe this is a trend with A24, it knows how to trigger my anxiety and my fear button. Because a lot of movies, and Swan, you know this, like we watch tons of horror content and it just... I can enjoy it and I can appreciate the artistry of the film, but I don't get scared by any of them, you know? Mm, That's true. These sort of movies are scary to me because they seem very real. You know, you know, we, we've been in tons of cabins in the middle of nowhere. We go camping, we go on crazy uh, adventures and something like this. I just feel like I can put myself there and be like, this could really happen. And it's not scary that there's a monster in the woods, they're scary that there's someone knocking on your door in the middle of the night and they got a gun and you have to decide, am I shooting them? Am I not? And then the psychological effects of, do we bring these people into our world? Do we send them out? Do we kill them? You know? And I think those things are kind of terrifying when, when things like pandemics happen and, you know, these apocalyptic situations when everything goes to hell, what will people act like? That to me is terrifying. It kind of goes back to my love for the original Halloween because, that could happen. Someone could go crazy, put on a mask, break in your house and stab you to death. And that's sure. kind of, and you can't read, you couldn't reason with him because you didn't know who he was. You know, was he <laughs> someone you knew? Was he just, you just didn't know. And there was, yeah. you know, so to me, that's more terrifying than like there was, you know, a cryptid in the woods that was, seeking everybody at night that's i'm like that's not gonna happen you know well, sometimes, sometimes living with you is like that like someone, <laughs> someone's in the house they could just grab a knife and kill me because they're you know that, that could happen. ian actually is like that for real she always thinks someone's trying to kill her uh okay first of all very true second of all that shit does happen like people like a, a homeless person was hiding in the closet for well i mean i'm hiding in the closet now so maybe that's me but yeah like i i, I feel you on that and i think that the of the three movies that we picked, I think that the human element of It Comes at Night was the scariest. Um, mm-hmm. my, my big disappointment, though, was for me, and watching it in the context of, oh, we're watching pandemic movies, I felt like the scene where they're talking about, oh, like, 
you know, Andrew is infected and they have this, there's kind of this breakdown of like, well, we need to go into self quarantine. Are you infected? Are you feeling okay? And this kind of pointing the finger of who has brought the sickness or the infection into the house. I feel like that is extremely real right now. People are, you know, we're all being told to wear masks. You know, every time I go in public, if someone coughs next to me, I'm like, you definitely have COVID. Please get away from me. Absolutely. That mask is so relatable. And I didn't have that experience the first time I saw this movie a few years ago, like right at the very beginning. And it, and it honestly struck a horrifying note in me too. There's a moment where someone wakes up and what you get kind of assaulted by is there's somebody in the house. I mean, that, Mm -hmm. that sentence in itself is like, so I think bone chilling. Anyone can relate to that, but it's kind of like a double fear because it's not the first thing that they grab or one of the first things that they go for is their mask because there's this, this idea of two things to fear. The fact that there's someone in your house and will they be infected? It's like a layered uh, assault on your safety. And that, that mask has never been more poignant because I don't go anywhere without my mask now. That was the thing about rewatching this movie and why people listening might want to watch it now because it's so relatable. You're so like, okay, this isn't very far from this could be happening to us now, you know? Um, So it's kind of terrifying. But I also think, you know, I want to kind of wrap all three of these movies up with this one lesson that I have learned and I hope that you all learned, which is when it's the end of the world, you have to kill anybody that tries to break into your house immediately. (laughs) No questions asked. Kill everybody. That's the rule. I back that up 150%. Trust no one but your family, and that can be chosen family. Kill everyone else. And I don't mean your family like your brother-in-law, like that dick that your sister married or whatever. (laughs) That doesn't count, okay? You need to kill her right away. Oh, she's the first to go. (laughs) Infected or not. Exactly. Just don't... I mean, that was the thing. Well, we talked about this last night after we watched this movie. Swan was... uh, you know, I said, as soon as they knocked on the door, I was like, blow his head off. I mean, that's the, f- I'm like, that's what you do in these situations. Like, hell no. He tried to break into your house, kill him immediately. Truly. No. And I think the natural thing for a lot of people is as, as things like pandemics or this isolation go on, when you come across other people, part of you wants to say, let me be a good person. Let me open myself up. What if they're this? What if they're that? Looking for the humanity in somebody else. But this movie, like maybe all of the movies that we chose uh, to, to, to review during this pandemic, the message is underlying and it is repeated over and over. You can't really trust anyone when the stakes are that critical. Again, kill everyone and shut your door. <laughs> shut, your, shut your mouth shut your door kill everyone this is your new chosen family get into it and Wait, so on where's that, the difference where's the difference that was exactly the speech i was given when i started working for you guys all right well listen i think it's time to take a quick commercial break and when we come back we'll be conducting our first ever creatures of the night hauntings of history see you soon Fright Rags has been bringing you the best in horror apparel and accessories since 2003. Offering a wide range of products from your favorite creature features, slasher flicks, and cult classics. Coming May 12th, shopping will cost you an arm and a leg, as Fright Rags unleashes its brand new collection for Chopping Mall. Featuring four brand new t-shirts, all officially licensed and available at fright-rags.com. Listeners get 10% off when they use code 
Bullet 10. All right, so Swan, it's the first episode and your topic one. So tell us what you have for us today. So today I bring you the haunted island of Pavelia. Dun, dun, dun. This island's history really started back in the bubonic plague of uh, like the 1300s, and it became a plague station where basically it became Plague Island. People that were uh, afflicted with this infection were all sent to the island to basically spend their last living days and die there. And I found a particular story about in the 1800s, there were two huge passenger ships all infected with the plague and they were redirected to Pavelia and left there to die. Uh, ultimately, as legend would have it, to return um, as spirits to haunt the island. <laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> and they weren't alone because it's rumored that over 160,000 people spent their last days here and that the soil itself is made up of 50% human ash. Oh, That's, that is terrifying. Yeah, which I thought was such an amazing detail. Wow. Because you're like running down the beach and you're like, oh, what was that? And there's like a chip of bone in your foot. Oh no, seriously, God. they say bones, <laughs> bones do wash up on the shore. Like you can hear you voices go. in the night. Um, there's actually a bell tower that was part of an old church the church was demolished and ultimately turned into a mental facility that functioned on the <laughs> island for years i know it's like better. Cool. It, it, <laughs> exactly it gets better but they preserved the bell tower they kind of uh re- retrofitted it to be a lighthouse because this island um was sort of right at the mouth of this uh venetian lagoon or whatever so it helped guide ships but the bell tower comes back in a story that's sort of like part of the local legend um that i'll that i'm going to relay because i thought it was such a cool uh, uh, piece of the history um it's enough that like bubonic plague victims were dying in the hundreds of thousands on the island in the 1300s but like later in more modern times it becomes a mental facility where this doctor is accused of performing unnecessary lobotomies on <gasps> insane asylum patients okay so we have lots of dead people yeah we have uh the Soil is made out of bodies. Exactly. Now we have a mental hospital and illegal lobotomy. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> so cool. the doctor that exactly. So the doctor that's accused of like performing these unethical surgeries on mental patients throws himself from the bell tower bec- and lives like it's a failed suicide <gasps> attempt. And he says that he was just driven mad by the screams and voices of the ghosts that inhabit the island. Wow. Okay. I know this is all, like, obviously, like, horrible, horrifying pandemic, but, like, this story is also kind of fabulous. Like, No, I think, yes, right? I mean... Like, yeah, like, this, the soil is made of... Oh, my God, I was be like, what a fucking ghoul. But I'm like, the soil is made of human ash. Like, the the evil doctor was driven mad by the spirits to throw himself from the bell tower. Bones wash up on the shore. I'm like, I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, locals talk about hearing that bell tolling and the water kind of taking the sound and spreading it all over this Italian lagoon where people feel and say that they can hear voices, they can hear screams, and they can hear the old church bell peeling through the night, which I think is like so scary and poetic and cool. 
Absolutely. So what's what's the story with it today? Well, ultimately, um, I guess in 1968, all of the facilities shut down, which I was surprised to read that they stayed open and functioning for as long as they did. That really brings us close to modern times. Um, but so many companies have went in there and proposed projects or uh, ideas of like repurposing the land or resort hotels, all these things. And all of the deals fall through like sort of repeatedly. It's almost like the curse of this place. And mm. Pavelia has remained abandoned and still is abandoned to this day uh, for the last 50 years plus. Well, wow. I think closing it down is probably a good idea. What do you guys think? <laughs> well, it, it's closed <laughs> and has been for a good long while. I mean, I don't know. I feel like maybe if the Hilton was trying to buy it and renovate it, it's like, come to Pavelia where we have some death like I don't, I don't know what the draw is to try to rebuild this island but i feel like just let it live there let it sit there Duh. no need to go ghost island <laughs> ghost island there you go <laughs> okay well i, I want to bring it really i want to bring back to swan you had mentioned that there were boats with plague victims that were brought to this island it, it was reminding me of like have you guys heard about these cruise ships that are essentially like lost at sea with COVID-19 patients. Yeah. What do you think they should go to this island? Oh, I'm like, girl, I have the perfect place for you. They won't turn you away. No, it just, it, it reminded me of that, of like, I don't know, just some, I feel like there's something so haunting and terrifying of just this ship just floating around, just carrying death. Obviously, I hope that the, you know, the cruise ships with the COVID-19 patients are not just harboring death, but the idea is still kind of, I don't know, strange. Like it's, floating in the middle of nowhere sure it's like the modern version we're not talking about ghost ship today we're talking about ghost island oh right sorry (laughs) (laughs) sorry guys so it's time to close the chapter on pavelia until next time well i think that was a great first haunting of history so thank you for doing your research and bringing that to us thank you all right so before we wrap this episode up let's move on to some listener questions because this is our first episode, we thought it would be perfect uh, to go back through our social media and answer some of the most asked questions from our fans. Yeah, but if you have questions for us for the next episode, please email us at creatures at com, or you can use the hashtag Pod on social media and we can find your questions there. And you can ask us anything about what we're working on or what we've discussed on the last podcast or just whatever you think of. So let's move on to the questions. What do you got, Drac? All right. So I thought we could each ask a few. So these are some of the questions that people ask us the most on social media. If you're big fans of ours, then you probably know the answers to these things. But if you're a new listener and you don't know too much about us, this will give you a chance to learn a little more. So number one question right now is, is there going to be a season four of the Belay Brothers Dragula? (laughs) Is there going to be? be i mean of course there's going to be i think we've been quoted saying that there definitely will be and um yeah we're not done there are plenty of drag monsters out there that are just ripe for the torturing and the reshaping to become our next drag super monster and we'll definitely be putting together a season four to prove it the show is not even fully realized yet you know there's so much more to come i feel like we're just getting started with it and it just get you know keeps getting more and more popular and It just keeps growing. So we have, you know, yes, we have a lot more in store, including season four and some other things, but we're not going to talk about that because that's not the question. (laughs) So the next question is, and this is a favorite, really, really a joy. (laughs) Are you actually brothers? Uh, 
no, we're not brothers by blood, but I do like to consider us kind of blood brothers in a way, uh, sort of in the way that we see the world and what we do. We are partners in life and we are partners in business. So all of our projects we sort of tackle together. And it, and it's like, it is like we're family. I kind of think of brothers in a, a queer sense of the word. I don't know. It's a different kind of non-heteronormative sort of situation. And another question. Now, they one of the biggest questions was, are you going to make a podcast? Clearly, I think we've answered that one. Next, are you going to make a horror movie? Which I would like to answer. Um, we don't like to talk about projects that aren't 100% yet because I still believe you could jinx them. So I'll just say yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is it for the first episode of the Blay Brothers Creatures of the Night. We will be back in two weeks with another terrifying episode featuring our very special guest, Miss Dita Von Tees. Mm. Until then, you can join us on our Instagram at Belay Brothers and send us your feedback via email at creatures at BelayBrothersDragula.com. The Boulet Brothers Creatures of the Night is a Fangoria Podcast Network original, hosted and produced by Drakmorda and Swanthula Boulet, featuring co-host Ian DeVogler. Executive producers Dallas Sonier and Phil Nobile Jr. Produced by Natasha Posada. Associate producer Jessica Safa-Vamer. Edited and mixed by Ernesto Hurtada. Music by Neuron Spectre. For Fangoria, Brandon Wynardi, Jason Kozlerich, and Rachel Wilson. 